Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc SOAP and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Let's pray and press into this passage. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for illuminating the the word to us today. God, I just ask you to give us hearing ears and eyes to see what the Spirit of God is doing today. And Lord, just like we heard in our Miracles in Motion uh, journey this past Sunday, that there are rooms of our heart that sometimes we just have to hand over to you. And sometimes that's in actions that we have to give over, and sometimes it's just in attitudes of the heart. Sometimes it's things that we've just been holding back and keeping in. So God, today we just decided to open up the different rooms of our heart. So Holy Spirit, you can come speak to us, take out of us what doesn't belong, and deposit into us our true kingdom identity and who you've made us to be. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen. All right. So 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 38 through 30, uh, 44, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. It says, Elijah now returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. One day, as the group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, put a large pot on the fire and make some stew for the rest of the group. One of the young men went out into the field to gather herbs and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them into a pot without realizing they were poisonous. Some of the stew was served to the men, but after they had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there's poison in this stew. So they would not eat it. Elijah said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it in the pot and said, Now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. One day, a man from Baal Hashilas brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elijah said, give it to the people so they can eat. What? His servant exclaimed, feed a hundred people with only this. But Elijah repeated, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. Now, 2 Kings chapter 4 is a great chapter that highlights some of the ministry of a prophet named Elisha. And we've been unpacking this over the past two days together and diving into this ministry of Elisha. So we have Elijah with a J and then Elisha with an SH. So Elijah was the prophet before Elisha. And Elisha was like a mentee to his mentor, Elijah. And at one point during Elijah's life, he went to his mentor and said, I want a double portion of what God has on your life. Now, how many of us would say, God, 
where I'm at right now, I want a double portion of what I have right now. I want a double portion of peace. I want a double portion of power inside of my life. I want a double portion of your presence inside of my life. And this man, Elisha, as we have mapped throughout his ministry, we would find he received that double portion from God. And we see God move powerfully throughout his life. Even in 2 Kings 4, it's kind of noted as the five miracles of Elisha. You see, Elisha in his own name actually means Yahweh is God. And this name of his would be the message that he carried throughout his ministry. And I think that's so incredible and inspiring because I think for you and I, that's the message that we should carry throughout our everyday lives, that Yahweh, Jesus is Lord. God cares for you. And you see, our life should really preach the same message as our mouth. Because we carry this name of Jesus everywhere we go. So we want our actions and our words to preach the message that our mouth does, right? So this is really what Elisha is doing. And he's opening up his ministry and showing that God isn't just a God of talk, but he's also a God of action. You see, his ministry would be focused around repentance as he sought to turn a nation back from idolatry to a worshiping God. Which we'll kind of unpack a little bit later when we get into the uh, last couple verses. But this chapter, the chapter of Elisha's five miracles, shows us that God is not done until God is done. And if there's a note to write down today, because I know we have incredible note takers, uh, God is not done with you. God is not done with your situation. God is not done with your children. God is not done with your grandchildren. God is not done with your business. God is not done with your patience. God is not done with you until God is done. And when I read chapters like this, I see so many spots where people are facing hopelessness, where people are facing the necessity to have a miracle inside of their life. And I think sometimes when we hit this wall of God, I need you to show up. Sometimes we start writing the bookend. But you see, there are so many chapters in life where God is saying it's not time to close the book. It's simply time to turn the page. And Elisha is like the divine turn pager for the nation of Israel. You see, a lot of us face this in our everyday life too. And I think some of us could relate with me where we face different things of chapters of childhood trauma. Some of us might have chapters of marriages that didn't work out. We're waiting for a miracle. Chapters of unmet expectations. Chapters of betrayal from friends and family members. And we need what, and what I believe is what we need is a chapter on the miraculous. When I was reading this, I got so inspired because all I could think was when I begin to face hopeless situations, when I begin to face things where I get to the spot of God, only you can change this when you show up. I'm not going to write the bookend. I'm simply going to turn the page and see you show up. And that's what's happening with Elijah right here. Because I want you to know, in just one chapter, God can turn it around. Some of us today may really be ready to close the book, to say this story may be finished on this chapter of my life, but I want to tell you, it's not time to close the book. It's simply time to turn that page today. So as you're looking to turn the page, I think it's good to inspire ourselves and encourage ourselves in what God can do. Now, to set the scene for what it looks like in verse 38, you see there's a famine inside of the land. And that's not really something we may face in like today. Like we have inflation and I'm not the biggest fan of inflation because $14 chicken is crazy, <laughs> especially in the wake of, uh, or excuse me, especially post Super Bowl Sunday, 
And I don't know about any of you, but I was so excited that Super Bowl Sunday is not in the Daniel fast. And I think post Daniel fast, it just sets me up for failure because I walked around like a pregnant mother with all the food that I ate. I ate way too much pizza. If there was uh, chicken wings to eat, I ate every last bit of it because I thought, hey, inflation already in this, so I may as well go for it. <laughs> but post-Daniel Fast, we stuffed our faces. Super Bowl, it's fun to watch the game. <laughs> Sometimes even more fun to watch the halftime show for some of us. Others of us, if it's even more fun just to watch some of the Super Bowl commercials. But others, and I was talking to someone, they said, yeah, I just show up to the Super Bowl for some food. <laughs> and as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, it's funny because the passage we press into today talks all about famine or a lack of food. While we were enjoying our Super Bowl party, eating pizza, wings, buffalo chicken dip. Come on, somebody, the buffalo chicken dip staple of Super Bowls. Uh, I started to have this flashback. And this flashback was to my incredible 93-year-old grandmother who was an Irish immigrant who lived through the Great Depression and knew what it was like to face real famine and real struggles. And I always remember whenever we would have her over for dinner, eat with her, connect with her, uh, she would always get the smallest portions on her plate. And she would always say, I don't want to waste it. And I appreciated where she was coming from. You don't want to waste food. But as we would give her these uh, portions, fix her plate, she'd, I would always say, you know, Grandmom, what you don't eat, we can put in a container and send home with you. So, you know, you don't have to sweat bullets over like the extra piece of chicken on your plate. It's going to be OK. I promise. Right. And I always remembered watching her stress as we would put just a little bit of extra food on the plate. And then I remembered she lived through actual struggle and famine which developed a mindset inside of her that would say, hey, I don't know where the next is coming from. I don't know if there will be a next meal, even though she was living in the overflow at that point in her life. This is exactly what the prophets are facing inside of our passage today. You see, Elijah had started this school of prophets. So this, in a uh, lack of better words, in today's version of church, you could view it as like a school of pastors. And in the middle of hardship and difficulty in the land, this famine is hitting the school of pastors that Elisha is in charge of. And what happens is these people go out and they start collecting food. They get the large pot. I love how the passage says they grabbed a large pot for food because what it's telling me is they're feeding the masses with this thing. And they get it on the fire. They collect some food. They get the herbs. They get the wild gourds. They're shredding them. They're getting their seasonings. Come on, somebody. We love our seasonings inside of our food because you know when it comes to that Super Bowl Sunday, when it comes to having people over your house, we want to make sure the food tastes good. And everybody said amen because I know us here at Fusion love to eat. And they get all the food together. They're cooking in the pot. And then after they start eating, they notice something's just a little bit off. There's poison in the pot. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is just a little bit of poison. Because a little bit of poison can ruin everything. A little bit of poison can not only dis, uh, uh, change the taste, but it could also change your tomorrow. And a little bit of poison in the pot could easily send these people into a spiraling fear that changes the rest of their life. A little bit of poison inside of the pot could turn the people against the one young man who thought, let me season this thing up a little bit with some herbs and some wild gourds. And I want to talk to you just for a short period of time. What do we do when the pot is poisoned? What do we do when the pot is poisoned? 
because they were relying and depending on this meal to survive into tomorrow. And when you're living in a place where you don't know where the next might come from, the current is just that much more important. And when I read the verse in verse 40, where it says, after a bite or two, they cried out, man of God, there's poison in the stew, so they would not eat it. They were crying out for what they were relying on as substance. And, you know, there are so many poisons that can enter into the things that we rely on. I can even mark points inside of my own marriage where I noticed that poison entered into the relationship that I rely on. And I think some of us might relate to that a little bit today where I get bitter with my wife and she gets bitter with me when sometimes that marriage growth opportunity or another word for that, that fight <laughs> gets a little bit too harsh, gets a little bit too strong. And I notice that poison is entering the relationship. So for some of us, it might be poison inside of our workplace that we've seen show up in a place that we rely on because all of us would say we rely on God. But there's also an essence where God puts us inside of job places to provide for us, correct, where the next meal comes from. But what I want to press into just for a short period of time is just a few poisons that could enter into the rooms of our heart. Like Pastor Danielle preached this past Sunday with that awesome dollhouse. I thought that was so incredible where there's different rooms where we let God into and we don't let God into. And I can even mark and map the different living rooms of my life where I say, you want to know what, God, I'm going to leave this one a little bit messy. I don't know if I want you in here yet. And many times that is just the attitudes of the heart. So the first poison I want to talk to you about really quick is the poison of complaining, the poison of complaining. The people here had every opportunity that when the pot got poisoned, that they could look to Elijah and start complaining about when is God going to show up with something for us to eat? When is God going to pull through? You see, complaining is a thing that actually makes us miss out on what God could do inside of our life. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. I'm going to say that again. Because if we have the complainers in the house, sometimes I'm the complainer, right? I'm not going to look at you without first pointing the finger at me and looking in the mirror. This verse convicts me every time I read it. Philippians 2.14, again, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. I think many times we fall into the poison of complaining uh, almost naturally. When situations aren't lining up the way we had expected, when unmet expectations start to happen, when things aren't going to plan, when it's not happening the way I wanted it to happen, the poison of complaining gets into the mix a little bit. And I read this old story a while back that I thought outlined complaining so well. It says, out west, a cowboy was driving down a dirt road, his dog riding in the back of the pickup truck his faithful horse and the trailer behind. He failed to negotiate a curve and had a terrible accident. Sometime later, a highway patrol officer came on the scene, an animal lover. He saw the horse first, realizing the serious nature of its injuries. He drew a service revolver and put the animal out of his misery. He walked around the accident, found the dog, also hurt critically, and he couldn't bear to hear it whine in pain. So he ended the dog's suffering as well. And then finally, he located the cowboy who suffered multiple fractures off in the weeds. Hey, are you OK? The cop asked. The cowboy took one look at the smoking revolver in the trooper's hands and quickly replied, I've never felt better. <laughs> and I laughed at this because 
All I can think is he could have easily complained in that situation. You want to know what? The turn didn't go as planned. You want to know what? I was on my way to work. I was on my way to get blank done, but it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. But I've never been better. I've lost the things I love, but I've never felt better. Now, I wish that if only we could see the consequences of complaining before we do it. Because right here, the cowboy saw the consequences of what complaining could be before he did it. So many times complaining is like that smoking gun where we sow into seeds of discord, as the Bible would say, as we sow into uh, uh, failed relationships, as we sow into sometimes through complaining the plans of the enemy rather than the plans of the kingdom of God. You know, as I look at the church at large, many times I grow inspired, but both agitated all in one glance because I see so many complaining inside of the church about the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about fusion, correct? I'm talking about the church. And when we choose to complain about the very thing, the vessel in which God has chosen to carry on his message, I find we kind of hold a smoking gun sometimes. And rather than seeing the outcome of what it could be, and we sow into discord, we're actually sowing against the movement of the kingdom of God. It's the poison of complaining. And the people here in the passage could have complained, Elisha, when in the world are we going to eat? Elisha, we got this big old pot with all of this food, this massive stew, and now it's poisoned. Why would God let it get poisoned? They had every moment and opportunity to complain. Another poison they could have fallen into was the poison of compromise. You see, as we go through this passage, we kind of see that the poison of compromise could have been uh, found in verse 43 and 44, where they were uh, looking for God to show up. And they could have, rather than pressing into the Lord, they could have said, you want to know what? I'm going to find a different way and take things into my own hands. First Kings 11.4 says, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. You see, compromise moves the needle. And there's many different poisons we can get in the pot, but the poison of compromise is changing the question to fit the answer. See, sometimes we want the answer to be what we want it to be. And right here, the answer that they wanted it to be was, we need good food. We need substance. We need something to survive off of. And I kind of read passages like this, and it reminds me just of the serpent in the garden approaching Eve. You see, we see one of the greatest moments of compromise inside of the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of our Bible, Genesis. Compromise was when the command of God was questioned by the serpent. And you see, the enemy wanted the answer of, I want you to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he had to change the question to try and fit the answer. Did God really say that? Did God really say don't eat from that tree? And I think some of us might actually be in that same boat too. Because I know for myself, sometimes what I fall into is you want to know what? Did God really say don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden? Because I'm kind of mapping what the whole garden looks like. And it seems like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is off to the right a little bit. So maybe he wasn't talking about that one. Maybe he's talking about a different one. And I start to rationalize. And in my rationalizations, then I say, well, this tree must be good to eat from. The apples look amazing. 
And sometimes that's not just for the apples in our life. Sometimes that's with entertaining certain thoughts that we have, entertaining jealousy inside of our heart, entertaining fear that we're letting creep in, entertaining different jealousies that we're saying, oh, I wish I had this. It's the poison of compromise. But we know when we start saying, God, did you really say? We know when we start looking at it and saying, God, I could easily start looking to outside sources. And this is why I love what the school of the prophets, what those pastors of the day did. Rather than moving the needle, rather than saying, God, I don't know what, uh, rather than saying, God, you're not going to show up on our behalf, they immediately cried out. And I think that is like the flower that Elijah is talking about here. Because we see these people go through this moment of fear, saying, man of God, there's poison in the stew. Some of us ate it. (laughs) That's how we know. Some of us just simply want to eat, and we don't know what we're going to do. And rather than taking things into their own hands, I think this is a word for someone, rather than taking this into their own hands, they decided to cry out. And because they cried out, because they got on their knees and said, I need God to show up. God showed up. And here we see the first miracle in this passage. Elijah said, bring me some flour. He threw it in the pot and said, it's all right now. Go ahead and eat. Church, I want to tell you something. The flour did nothing. The flour was not the secret ingredient that God had done. The flour was simply the vehicle for the miraculous hand of our God. And the beautiful part is the flour that we have today is the not so secret, secret ingredient. And his name is Jesus. And you might be dealing with some poison inside of your marriage. And like I shared before, we've all been there. You might be dealing with some poison inside of your closest relationship with your best friend. You may even be dealing with the poison of compromise, complaining. Some of us, our poison might be comparison. But I want to tell you, Jesus is the not-so-secret ingredient that when he shows up on the scene, the miraculous is what he does. Because we serve a supernatural God that wants to keep on interjecting our natural with his super. And you might have impossible situations in your life. You may be thinking, God, when are you going to pull through? I've had prayers on my prayer list for close to a decade now where I'm waiting God to pull through. God, I know this is your will. The word of God tells me that it is. And I'm waiting for this to go away. However, 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 I know you're going to get in the mix and the flower of the Holy Spirit is going to show up and change everything when he does. But until that day comes, I'm going to stay just like the pastors, the school, the prophets were crying out to God saying, Jesus, my eyes are focused on you and I'm not going to look anywhere else. As the Bible would say, don't look to the left or to the right. But look to where our help comes from and our help comes from the Lord. And there's these poisons in our life that God shows up in the supernatural in. And I want to encourage you today, whatever that may be, whatever that room of the heart may be, whatever that situation may be that you're waiting on God, stay faithful. Keep your eyes on him. Keep crying out to the source. And right after Elijah throws some flour on it. I like how it heads right into another miracle about food. You know, there's so many miracles concerning food in the Bible. And I like how Elijah's faith is built here. And I believe it's built from his mentor back in 1 Kings 17. And if you're familiar with 1 Kings 17, this is when Elijah shows up at the widow's house. 
And when he's at the widow's house, the widow has some flour. The widow has some oil. And he says, hey, make me some bread. And she said, man of God, I can't make you any bread because this is what's left for me and my son. After we eat this, we are very simply going to die. And I thought, oh, what a fear and lack mindset. But doesn't God show up and that oil and flour doesn't run out until the harvest comes again? And then there's a couple more miracles surrounding food. We could fast forward into the ministry of Jesus where he feeds the 5,000. And we know his feeding the 5,000 is way more than just 5,000 people. It was just 5,000 men. So you could be talking about easily 11,000 people fed on just one day. God does the miraculous around food, which then kind of begs the question for me, why? Because Jesus wants to be our daily bread. He wants to be the very source where everything comes from. Even when Jesus was tempted in the desert post-baptism, it says uh, he looked at the enemy who was tempting him saying, hey, turn these rocks into food for yourself. And Jesus replies, do you not know that man shall not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God? You see, Elijah caught this revelation even before Jesus touched the earth because this one man brings a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest, says verse 42. And then 43, uh, uh, after Elijah gives the commandment, hey, give it to all the people so they can eat. His servant says, what? You want me to feed how many people? Feed 100 people with only this? And I think this mindset is such an incredible mindset to recognize in us sometimes. Because when he says, with only this, my note takers, what he's saying is, hey, I have a mindset of lack. What do you mean this is going to feed the masses? This was going to feed my inner circle. And I think it's time to confront the mindset of lack. Now, in our household, we have something a little bit special. Uh, at least it's special to us. But it's a little tiny box that we picked up from Target one day. It's a little $5 box, and we call it our God box. In our God box goes all of our fears, all of our concerns, anything we trust God with, and we have little shreds of paper that we write on. Inside of there is our future child and their health, and we fold it up and we put it in there, and it's our way of handing things over to God, and we put it all inside. And what my wife and I both committed to is that if we begin to fear, if we begin to no longer trust God with what we put in the box, we go up to the box, we open it up. And we take out the thing that we decided to pick back up from God. And we look at it and we say, God, I'm sorry I didn't trust you with my finances. God, I'm sorry I didn't trust that you were going to show up inside of my life. And right here, I'm committing to you once again that I'm giving this over to you. And this is now yours and not mine. And church, a little confession today. Confession's good for the soul, but really bad for the reputation. Um, I have taken certain things out of that God box a dozen times. It's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. The amount of times I've taken out the same thing and said, God, I can't believe I don't trust you with this yet. But we always keep on putting it back in and back in and back in. That's the beauty of the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. And many times when we face these moments of with only this, the mindset of lack, we have to hand things like that over to God so he can show up like he did in the rest of the passage. Because Elijah repeated the commandment in verse 23. He said, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will be some left over. And I think that's incredible. 
because God was breaking the box of lack off of them. There will be more than you could ever possibly imagine. There will be more that God wants to multiply in your life than your faith may be able to produce yet. And that's a great statement on faith because faith does not maintain, it multiplies. You see, there wasn't just going to be 20 loaves of barley bread and a sack of fresh grain. What God was doing was through the faith of Elijah was multiplying the source of substance for the people. And I think this is a word for all of us today in the middle of our miracles and motion journey. Faith simply does not maintain, it multiplies. And that is exactly what we're pressing into for our South Jersey region. Because if we looked at what we're doing as a church, we would just simply say, this is supernatural, God, thank you. And we could put a period at the end of the sentence and just say, awesome. But we truly believe that God wants to multiply by faith what he's doing inside of this region, that there are more people that are going to come to know Jesus because of our faith, that there are more people that are going to find freedom because of our faith. There are going to be more marriages that are restored because of our faith. There are going to be people who are dealing with demons and oppressed that are going to find deliverance because of our faith. Because our faith isn't just here to maintain what God is doing, but God is saying, I dare you to put your faith in me so he can multiply what he is doing. Which is why if we follow through this journey together as a church, as we continue pressing into the miracle in motion in front of us, which is why I believe this passage is so prophetic, the five miracles of Elijah as we're covering the last two, that the faith wasn't just maintaining what God was doing in the land. The faith was saying, God, we appreciate what you've done, but we're believing you for more. And I really believe there is more for God, more or more of God for us today. In this miracles in motion, spiritual growth journey, we are not maintaining the status quo. We are multiplying by faith, seeing more souls get saved before they even walk through the doors. Come on, I know we have our youth leaders inside of the house today. Come on, seeing more teenagers come to Jesus than ever before. Seeing teenagers come out from spiritual oppression, coming out from depression, coming out from suicidal thoughts into the life of Jesus Christ. Because my faith is not just here to say, God, we want to keep this going. My faith is here to say, God, I want my two to become a 10. I want it to expand and see your goodness in the land of the living, just like David wrote about inside of the Psalms. You see, we want to have faith that simply does not maintain, but multiplies, just like we saw in the loaves of bread and the fresh grain. And just to run it back inside of this passage of the miraculous and to close with an encouragement that we opened with. You may be feeling like those facing a famine right now. You might be facing a spiritual famine. You might be facing what feels like a famine in your marriage. You might be facing a famine in what feels like with your children. You might be facing a famine in your workplace. You may have been laid off. You may have lost your job. And I know I may joke about inflation in the chicken, but I know for some of us, that's actually a serious topic to talk about. And I want to be sensitive of that for just a moment. Because you might be ready to simply close the book because it just feels like too much right now. You might be ready to say, I'm tired of this chapter. And you may be only on chapter three, but you don't want to go to chapter 10 because chapter three is just that hard. 
chapter three, there might be so much poison in the pot that you don't see how God could turn it around. Chapter three might be my business is failing and I don't see how God is going to bring revenue in here to keep this going. And I want to encourage you today that God is going to throw flour on it. God is able to multiply when you don't even see how multiplication can happen. Do not close the book. Just turn the page because there is a new chapter of life that God wants to do inside of your life. And that starts with the miraculous. That starts with Jesus showing up in ways that you could never possibly imagine. And that's why I continually pray over us, church, Ephesians 3.20, to God who's able to do more than we could ask think or imagine inside of our lives. So do not give up. Just hold on. There's a breakthrough around the corner and there might be poison in that pot, but I think it might just be time to throw the Holy Spirit on it just a little bit to say, Jesus, I need you to show up inside of this thing. Amen, church. Come on, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That God, uh, even when we don't see what's going on, even when we don't see what it could be, that Jesus, you show up here in the land of the living and that you have a way of turning things around that our minds can hardly comprehend. So Lord, I just pray to all those who are facing hopelessness today, Lord, give them hope. To all those who are overwhelmed by the natural today, God, give them heavenly minds and mix their natural with your supernatural. And God, to all of us who may be dealing with the different poisons today, because I know sometimes the rooms in my heart can just simply go untouched because I don't want them to be. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, fill the room today, the room of compromise, the room of complaining. God, maybe that room of comparison, they're doing better. God, maybe it's that room of jealousy that God, that uh, I see that other person, they're doing much better than I am. And maybe it's that room of jealousy that says, hey, the Joneses have, but I don't. God, I just pray, multiply in us today and show us that we are enough inside of you, that I am because you are. And Lord, uh, I just pray, give us the faith that actually multiplies. We don't just want good rhetoric. We don't just want catchy terms. But Jesus, we really want the faith that multiplies your goodness here in the land of the living. So God, make us conduits and carriers of your love and goodness today. And we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' matchless name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Everyone, God bless you and you have an incredible Thursday.